You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Love him or loathe him, you can't deny that Brian Tamaki is committed to making New Zealand a better place. Whether it is through his church or his Man Up program, or now through his political party. Brian is with me now to discuss his new law and order policy. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hi, Cam. Nice to be here. Good. Um, good to have you here on The Crunch. Mm-hmm. I'd, and, and we need to crunch some numbers from what you've uh, released on the policy yesterday. You've, in your policy, hard facts section, you've mm. got uh, RAM raids have risen by 653%. Yep. That's alarming, isn't it? It's hugely alarming. But, you know, uh, the police minister, Ginny Anderson, would have us believe it's just because of increased reporting. <laughs> no, these are the facts and figures that we're talking about. And in 2020, uh, sorry, 2019 or 17, 16 years, six years ago, I should say, the stats were 119 at that stage when they were in a coalition government, Labour with Greens and Winston Peters, New Zealand First. Mm-hmm. Then they've hiked to that over 650% to 2022, which was some 857 ram raids. That's huge. Uh, oh, it's um, it's unbelievable. And these facts and figures are from police data, by the way. So we shouldn't be surprised to see these crimes rising, should we? When when the government has emptied the prisons, there's about thirty percent less people in prison now, so they're actually on the streets. That's right, with bracelets around their ankles. And then we've got the next set of numbers. There, homicides have risen. 68% and domestic violence has risen 48%. Now, with a, what did you say? 175,000 odd cases in 2022. Yeah. That's an incredible level of harm in the community just from domestic violence, let alone the homicides. Yeah. And that's one of the most shocking stats of all of them, apart from the ram raids and the rise in. Um, assaults is is the big one. Assaults and personal assaults or acts leading to injury. That's where you see the venting from the general public. When I say that, you're talking about domestic violence. You're talking about what's happening in homes, and that that rise to 175,000 and some 700, I think. That is just and that's just in 2023. That's just this last few months. So it's significantly gone through the roof. What we have, Cam, is crime out of control. And we've got a government who's also out of control, by the way, and they don't know what they're doing. They've run out of any idea, especially when you get the um, Minister of Justice drunk and driving and uh, actually missing from her portfolio job. We have many uh, changes in the police commissioner, that uh, police minister of police, has turned over four to five times, if I can recall. So there's a real mess at the top. So one of the biggest problems with crime rising in this country is the actual politicians themselves, bad policies, bad politicians and parties who are actually enabling a climate for crime to proliferate. And and you're talking about that in, in just in this preamble here. Police yeah. response times doubling, wait times of more than 100 minutes in some parts of Auckland. You've got wait times for civil cases to be heard in courts doubling, wait times for criminal cases have increased 23% with an average wait time of 584 days. Now, if you're on remand and you're in you know, Mount Eden, you're likely to be there on average. This is an average. There's some that are, that are, that are much higher than that, 584 days. There's a good chance that you, in, under this government, that you'll be sentenced to less than that for the crime that you've committed. Well, that's been happening. Um, soft sentencing. Um, they're so overcrowded and so um, overwhelmed that they're actually putting them on home detention. And this is a way of getting the numbers fudged as well to CAM. Yeah. They, they start moving numbers out of the prison and they put them into home uh, on remand or on the bracelet. Yeah, that's causing the problems as we've seen with the shooter in the CBD just recently with a with that with that problem we're talking about a violent offender, known history of domestic violence, 
Um, and yet he was put out outside of prison and put on remand with a um, with a bracelet. And you can see bracelets don't work, and neither is Labour's crazy idea of shifting prisoners out of prison into the community, and they call it remand or waiting and home there, home detention. Well, you know, we've got all of these violent criminals on remand or, mm. or on home detention. Yeah. But we've got the police prosecuting the likes of yourself. That's um, right. You know, Vinnie Eastwood um, and uh, and Billy Tikaha. And uh, and then you've got the guy who was recently sent to jail for posting a video of him shooting a picture of Jacinda Ardern. But you can beat up your missus. You can choke her half to death. You can break bones in her neck and you get home detention. You don't even go to prison. It's There seems to be a disconnect between what the police and the judges are doing with regards to crime and what the general public wants to see and hear coming from politicians and judges and the police. Yeah, exactly. Well, you hear the case of the 18-year-old who was recently sentenced for raping three uh, 15-year-old schoolgirls. He got nine months home D. That shows you the level of incompetence and brokenness of our system. I'm talking about a minister of law and order. Um, the disconnect between corrections, uh, the police, uh, and the courts and the judicial system um, is shocking. The lack of communication, we are seeing now that they are independently working from each other, and one doesn't know the, what the other is doing, and having an understanding of how not only they can get on top of crime, they have no idea about how to rehabilitate and to reintegrate these people back into society so it's safe for the public again. When you say these people, you're quite specific yep. as, as to where the problems are in society with regards to crime and law and order. In fact, you're very specific on that. Where do you see the problem is? Yes, I am. Well. I think the number one problem of why crime has risen, got out of control, is um, the politicians. The parties that we have now currently making these policies. Mm. You've got to see that over a period of time, it's not just Labour who are toast, really, and um, the way that the present judicial system, corrections and the police have been performing or functioning is utterly unbelievable. And um, they they cannot any longer be in charge of that. But I I would also say to you, national and active got, are no better. National just wants to uh, put them in boot camps, which has failed already, mm. um, and throw away the key to the iwi and say, you deal with it. And I think um, David Seymour, his, some of his um, law and order policy up, I had a look at the other day, was he's going to smash the gangs. Well, okay, so we've got to have gunfire and, sh and gun shootouts on the streets. <clears throat> but um, we have to do something in that area where people have got to see that what they have formally voted for has failed us. Mm. And to continue to vote for national, Labour, or anybody else, in fact, that's currently in there, is a recipe for disaster, proven right. history. Aren't Labour and uh, National different sides of the same coin, really? Yeah, well, I see National as the um, the other cheek on the same ass, and um, <laughs> David Seymour act is stuck right up in the middle. <laughs> yeah, um, and basically that's naughty, but that describes pretty well um, how we're treated. We've just got an absolute great big bum up there or down there in Wellington. Yeah, it's um, it's got to be removed or fixed. In the wasp's nest. Yep. You've said very specifically, though, that we have a man problem and we've got a problem with Maori crime as well. Yep. Aren't you at risk of being called racist, Brian? Call me what you want. The thing is, the public need to know the truth, and I think that I'm only saying what everybody's thinking. But more importantly, the stats and facts again tell us there's a Maori crime problem. And so if you identify the problem correctly, then you can apply the proper solutions and answers to those problems. And what we're seeing here, without any doubt at all, um, we have to deal with crime that's been generational, and it's, it's, uh, it's deep, about three or four generations, of crime that's become a part of the Māori way of life. 
So no one gets better results with Maori than me. And how do you do that? Well, we're already doing it. And I've got a program called Man Up currently, which has now been running for some uh, 10, 12 years. Uh, but in the last seven or eight years, it's particularly um, mastered how to deal with some of these, uh, well, society's worst nightmares and people who we see most of the crime committed. Māori are overrepresented in every negative statistic that's going. And particularly in prison numbers, like well over half, I think something like 53% are Māori men and a whopping 78% are women in the women's prison. You'll find that mostly who goes to jail mostly and gets back in prison is Māori. So we definitely um, have a Māori problem. The last time I looked to see if if a ram raider was blonde, blue-eyed, I couldn't find one. Um, And that is the fact. So, Cam, we've got a solution for the Māori problem. And um, with Man Up now working consistently well uh, across the country in Australia, where it's um, getting all the Aussies joining it now, actually. Again, Aussies taking something from New Zealand because here we're a bit slow to uptake because corrections have kept us out. Yeah. This government doesn't want man up in there either. And that's been a continued uh, battle uh, since we were at the stairs of parliament about six years ago. And um, they just did not want a bar of it. But privately, the Minister of Justice at that time, Andrew Little, wanted man up in the correction system. And he said himself, along with Seymour, also, Judith Collins from National and Winston have all said, and we've got that record and it's on here, of course, they said that Man Up is no doubt the most successful program, not only in prevention and intervention, but in the transformation and then integrating them back into society again. There's a, a lot of people out there, but in particular from the Maori Party, that will say that these statistics show the inherent racism of the justice system the colonisation of New Zealand and colonisation of the law and order system and that we need to decolonise justice and decolonise New Zealand and then the statistics will get better. What do you say to that? No, it's um, not a race problem. It's a, uh, it's a human problem. Yeah. And crime is not a race condition. It's a human condition. It's not based on your skin colour or a culture. It's a human condition. And as I said before, we're all part of the human family. If you start isolating race, race-based race politics or race crime, you probably categorise crime into a race category, you're in trouble. And we've seen this already, Cam, with the Kaupapa initiatives and a lot of the Māori initiatives that have been running. And I can say to you, with multi-million dollars, actually billions of dollars behind it, they've failed. Um, you just look now at the present stats again and the facts that tell you that not only is national and labour failing failing us for safety and reducing crime, Māori is also failing themselves in trying to do this. And so that's why I say a man up is not a, a Māori solution. It's a human-based solution to a problem that works. It works with European. It's working with Australians right now in Australia Man Up's working also in Europe. It's working in India. So it isn't a race problem. It's a human condition. And we have found a way and be able to help these particular people involved in crime, that's Māori, and how to properly rehabilitate them, not the way they get rehabilitated now. This doesn't work. Mm. Then they are brought into a transformational community where they're taken out of their old associations and they're with people that they look like them and they are people who have been where they've been, now are living a successful and a prosperous life. That's the way you properly integrate them back in from gangs, from broken homes, and from a life of crime. It is possible. It's not an event. It's a process. Transformation is a process. So you've got to have that process right. And, it's, and the way that the corrections department treat it now, it's like an event or a, 
you do this particular program we put to you, tick those boxes, and after that, they're let loose again, and they're not properly transformed. So recidivism is very high, and they end back in prison after they've either robbed, uh, they either committed a crime or rape or whatever, and they're back in prison. Isn't that the the, the problem we've got? We've got generations of yep. criminals who have been brought up in a criminal lifestyle and their only role models have been criminals. And that's the only way that they know how to behave in society is as, as a criminal. And what you're saying is that your new transformational family program that you're proposing with this policy will break that cycle. Yep. Well, we offer them a better alternative. You exit the gangs you're going to come into a place where you can uh, legally work and prosper, have what you need to live a good life with your family, Mm -hmm. that your children can be educated better, that you can have the work that suits you and that you make a good living and you're, you're out of the life of crime and you have a future. So we have thousands of families of men that are in that um, beautiful position now that have made it. They've exited the gangs and we've broken the cycle of dysfunction in these Māori families because many of these young Ram Raiders don't have fathers. Mm. Or if they've had a dad, it's been a, a bad dad or a dangerous dad. Or a part-time dad. Yeah, part-time dads. And that's that's what happens. So <clears throat> Māori have adopted this culture, unfortunately, because they need money. Everybody needs money to live, pay your bills, get ahead. And because the opportunities are slim now and it's generationally three, four, five generations deep, you have to disrupt that or intervene and be able to offer them an alternative that they see is is far better than what they're getting now from the gangs. Illegal money done with illegal uh, products and substances and, of course, the criminal acts that they do on society. So you get them prospering. You get them into work. And we've had that operating right now. <clears throat> I can take you to a number of contractors and businesses that have employed some of the worst nightmares in society, and they're making it. So while they're working during the week and the evenings, they're going through the mentoring, Man Up program and Legacy for Women, and they're bringing these men to a wholeness, and it works. And that's the thing about this. It works. That's one thing that you've also said is that you want to bring in family mentors into the community to help those families. That They've got life coaches, for want of a better term, that they can go and, you know, bounce ideas off or talk about, we've got a particular problem in in our home, this is the problem, how are we going to go about solving that? Well, 65% of youth offenders do not live with dad. So there you go. So what we have is fathers, and we've been very strong on raising fathers to save our children. That's been the mantra. And what we believe is a man problem in this country. Everywhere you go, the man problem being that if you don't have fathers to affirm and to validate their kids and raise them properly, then you can't, you cannot expect these kids to um, have some proper role modeling and have a future or see something that has hope for them. So with our program, we have whole communities that they live with and they're able to be mentored, not just in talk and you sit around in a circle like some of the conventional rehab programs. This is one where you watch, you, you see your role models, you live with them, you work with them, you go fishing with them, take them hunting, then they see how we treat people, how you talk to your wife, mm. how you treat other people, what your, what your whole world involves. So it's a life context that transforms people by almost more is caught than taught. Yes. And that's the Māori way. And so a lot of programs that you have done by Europeans, and I say this respectfully, does not understand that in Māori they love the context of doing, seeing, and being with in a natural environment rather than being in a room, just confessing what you've done wrong and then promising you know, after 10 weeks that you're going to do good and then walk out the door. 
a number of years ago, we used to go to lunch with my mates and we had lunches at the church. There were a group of gang members uh, would meet up beforehand and it was the start of the Grace Foundation, which was created by David Latelli. Yeah, and um, I used to drive up in my Ute, and these guys would be all outside, you know, talking and everything, covered in tattoos. Yeah, you know, I, I well remember one day um, in some of this, you know, they're all in shorts and singlets, and there was ankle bracelets everywhere. And you know, one of the guys came up to me and he says, "Oh, are you a hunter?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, I am." And he said, uh, "Pig hunter." And I just got talking to him, um, and then he said to me something that was really strange. He says, "Mate, you're not afraid of me." And I said, no, I'm not afraid of anybody. Mm. He says, oh, well, I've I've got all these tattoos. And I said, well, I said to him, you know, mate, I find it very hard to be afraid of anybody who would let somebody scribble all over their face like that. And he just cracked up laughing, and he says, you're definitely not afraid. Why is that? I said, because you're just people. Yeah. You're, just, you're just people, and you've run into trouble. And he goes, oh, I've, I've, I've been in prison. I said, I know. I can see on the tattoos. He goes, oh, you know about that. Oh, he says, I've killed people. I said, well, that, that that's pretty bad, but I'm still not afraid of you. And um, and I found that interacting with these guys, they look fearsome, but they just really want to be ordinary people, even though they've done all these terrible things. And a lot of people are too afraid to talk to uh, these gang members and the people who have come through the, the crime. I don't call it a justice system. I call it a crime system. Because all we're doing is processing criminals and they end up living with criminals and their mentors are criminals. And all we're doing is fostering a crime system here. That's right. The the saddest thing of all of this is that almost all of those people that I banged into outside those lunches were almost all Maori. But all the solutions that are being proposed and aren't working, and we can see they're not working from the statistics, are all focused on Maori. So you've got a solution to that, haven't you? You're saying that funding should not be race-based. It should not be anything of the program should not be race-based. They should be family-based. Exactly. But well, the, the key, though, is, is you're saying let's get away from race-based funding. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, Māori have been given basically billions, not millions, billions of dollars, when you see Willie Jackson and the Māori Caucus and the Labour Party, um, they've received a million dollars almost for the five years they've been in there, um, for the for the three years of that five, uh, over a billion dollars, on top of the millions that go to Māori Kopapa, And these are the Māori initiatives to try and get on top of this problem. And yet it's got worse Cam. And that's not, I mean, I need to include in here, not just the Māori, the kaupapa-driven ones that go to tikanga. I'll tell you the honest truth, it does not work. But some of that money goes to gangs directly, like the mongrel mob, doesn't it? Well, I, I think more goes to elite greedy Māori than the, the gangs, to be honest. There's some smart Māori that are not so smart, they're crooked. And they are in places where they are palming off to their mates maybe put in a front laundering shop, kind of, you know, we're helping to our people. They're washing it. Yeah, they're helping themselves mainly and just their little group. And it's obvious it's not getting down to where most Māori families who are really good about this, they they are not into the rorting that some of the well-known names I could say here are doing. It's not getting to where it's most needed. And that's why I believe the Man Up program without any government funding whatsoever. We don't get any government funding. None, none whatsoever. None whatsoever, nope. And we're also blocked from accessing the prisons and the inmates are screaming for the Man Up program. These are the ones that are telling their partners when they visit, they come out and say, can we please have the Man Up program? And then they say, no, their program is not allowed in here. So there are two obvious big blockages over the last six years particularly so you imagine what we're doing with nothing from the taxpayer using volunteer people who are now very skilled at turning people's lives around, doing it after hours after their work, giving their lives to this. You'd imagine what we could do with the billions that these greedy Māori programs are sucking up and not getting any results, nowhere near the results that we get. You'd imagine what we could do, Cam. 
And that's why my biggest um, policy is that we're going to flip the whole prison system on its head. Wow. Yep. And what I mean by that, you'll see now that corrections have lost control of the um, the prisons inside, the prisoners. Gangs are definitely running it. At any one time, there are 43 different gang affiliations in prison, and most of them in the, uh, the centre where they're isolated are hardened gang members. And when you get a lot of the new ones, 1,300 recently in remand, are younger. They're younger men who go in for some of the crimes that gets them to be promoted, and it's part of the whole deal of getting introduced to a harder gang life. Now, they go in there. By the time they get out of the remand time, being exposed to these hardened uh, gangsters, they are fully uh, hardened now gang members. And this is the problem. And what I want to do is do exactly what the gang members are doing. Yeah, I want to recruit them out of the gangs. So we would heavily put the program in there that those that go on remand, it's uh, mandatory to do the Man Up program at least twice through or three times in their term in there. And we would do a, we've got an exit, gang exit plan that every person that comes in there will be interviewed in a room with the right interviewers, giving them the option to get out of the life of crime and joining gangs and we will give you a start and job and in the future business to prosper your family and to look after your children and to make sure that you have all the necessities to live a crime-free life and a successful life. If they take that option, we say to them, we will um, separate you from the main prison of gangsters and you'll go into a part of the prison where it's those that are exiting when they come out and they'll come straight in to the transformational community. So I'm going to do what the gangs are doing, just flip it on its head. We're going to work. So what you're saying is when they enter the the correction system, the prison system, they can choose the red pill or the blue pill. And you want to put it like that, well, you you can choose a better life or you can carry on with a life that will take you. Yep. And if they, yeah, if they, mm. and if they choose to say, "I don't want to be part of the gangs anymore," then you've you, their exit strategy from those gangs starts right there. Yep. At that time when they make that decision. Yep. I'm letting you know, and the public know, that our prisons right now are owned by the gangs. Yeah. The gangs use those prisons to basically get their next tier of gangsters and their their membership. That's why it's risen by 71%. They have got the same number of gang gangs members as the police force. Now, listen to this. Back five, six years ago, when I think it was Three News approached the corrections minister, that, that still at this time as well, Calvin Davis, and they said to him, why won't you take man up into the prison? Because they got great results. And Calvin Davis said, no, because Brian Tamaki will recruit them for his church. And, I mean, we're all stunned watching on television (laughs) as the corrections minister said that. In other words, what he was saying, I'd rather the gangs continue to recruit them for a life of crime and be a part of what's the problem problem is in New Zealand and now that it's unsafe than to actually let them be recruited to go to church with their family and at least live a life that is not going to harm the public and actually look after their kids. Can you believe that? So I'll probably put the question to the public. Would you rather have the present correction system's way of doing it, that the gangs continue to recruit for their gangs, or Brian Tamaki recruit them to come to church and be better people? That's the options. You know, he said his 98 million rehab would do better. 98 million rehab he just did recently would do better. It's about 24 months ago. The results got worse. Well, if we crunch the numbers on that, that it has got worse, much, much worse. And yep. people in Auckland in particular, uh, in some communities, are living in fear on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I hope New Zealanders are now in their desperation and fear to see something done in law and order that they don't just 
you know, go for a Christopher Luxon and a, you know, you know, a typical National Party law and order things just to slam him in jail, throw the key away, or build a different type of boot camp, or bring in an Australian idea of the, of the what does he call it, the um, the squad, yeah, now from America, uh, from Australia. Raptor Force or some stupid. Yeah, name. yeah, that's it. The Raptor Force, Force Six or something. But, but you're not. But you're not talking. Uh, you know, giving these people a free ride, a, bit of a free ride here. Because no. you're also talking about tougher sentences, aren't you? You're saying that that if you are a gang affiliate or a known gang member, mm. you don't get to do community based sentences. You don't get to do home D. You uh, go to prison. Yeah. When it comes to sin, yeah, so you go to prison, but when you're in prison, it's it's our solution now for prisons. You're gonna you've got the option to do the man up um, program. You've got the option to rehabilitate yourself in a more meaningful way, but yeah. you are going to prison. Yes, you're going to prison. There is tough sentencing for gangsters that are involved in community crime uh, or violence. Um, the sentencing is going to be tough. We take the approach of being tough but tender. Um, those two things have got to work together. So the sentencing and the soft approach by Labor and National as well and ACT, um, we're going to uh, move that aside and make sure you do the crime, you're going to pay the time. Yeah. But in prison, it's a setup. We have them all together. And I believe the master plan that we have of a gang exit plan to reduce the number of um, gang members and also to deal with some of the worst criminals uh, in society right now when they come to prison. So that's why I believe that our flipping the, the, the whole gang and prison system on its head to do the program we got is going to get far better results than what they're doing now. On the one hand, you're saying we need to get man up into the prisons which essentially is a private company. But on the other hand, you're saying that private companies have no business running our prisons. But the state doesn't do exactly a good job of running the prisons either. So I'm, I'm a little confused by that policy. Because on why, one hand... Why do you think I'm sitting before you now talking? Yeah. Because the state isn't doing a good job. And that's not the state per se as a state. What is a state? We're talking about actual people, politicians... And parties, and that's why I said the number one um, cause uh, of enabling crime in this country is bad politicians and parties and policies they make that enables this crime to happen. And so I'm standing talking to you or sitting here talking to you because I believe we have solutions to be able to turn this around, make our country safe again, our workplaces safe again, and our schools safe again. But you can't do it with the wrong people, Cam. And everywhere you look in this system, you've got wrong people in charge. I mean, you look at now the replacement level of the Minister of Police and Justice Minister and Corrections Minister who's entrenched himself in there in the last six years, I think, or more. And the disgusting thing about this is that we all feel powerless because we can't do anything to get rid of them. And that's why this election will be the most important election in New Zealand's lifetime. And I'm appealing to the public of this country to consider this law and order policy is the only one that's going to get the job done, make you not only feel safe, but be safe. If you party vote Freedoms New Zealand, get me in there and the stats and our history prove it and get those incompetents out. How's this? How's that, Cam? Well, <laughs> there's a few other things that I want to touch on as well that are really interesting. Uh, we we mentioned at the start that you're saying there's a man problem in, yeah. in crime in New Zealand, and there's a Maori problem with crime in New Zealand. How are you going to address this man problem in New Zealand? The man, well, we, we, we've heard, we've heard the, but, first thing, yeah. the first thing I want to do is to appoint a minister of men. Good grief. That's going to upset Marima Davidson. 
Yeah, well, they've got a minister of everything else, minister of child and youth, child and youth, a minister of women's affairs, woman of family. You notice that of all the ministers for the most important unit in society, which is family, they haven't got one for men. Now, if you think about it, the real situation in this country is that if the men of this country were more responsible fathers uh, to their sons and their daughters, we would cut at least three quarters of the crime problem in this country, Cam. And as I said to you, I gave you that stat before about how many of these kids are in fatherless homes or they've been in homes where they've had abusive father. Mm. So if you want to go deep into this, and that's why I said transformation is a process, not an event, Mm. you see that the father problem, the man problem, is one of the biggest issues in New Zealand's culture that has to be talked about, discussed in public, and more importantly, to bring the solutions that I believe we have for this. This makes me nervous, having a, a minister for men or a, or a men's ministry. Do you need? Do, do you need? You know why it makes me nervous? It doesn't make me nervous because Brian Tamaki, Tamaki uh, proposed the idea. It makes me nervous because the kinds of people that are attracted to the civil service. Yeah, are kind of not the kind of blokes that we'd probably want <laughs> to be doing this. So I could just imagine uh, the Ministry for Men would have a diversity quota uh, where they have to hire a whole lot of trans people no. um, for the job or people with man buns or um, no. men, man purses. No, uh, good answers, eh? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, like That's why we need a Minister of Men. Because that's why you got men who want to be women. That's why you got men who are not being responsible, more importantly, for their kids at home. That's why you need a real Kiwi bloke to address all of the man issues that you just uh, spoke to about into your your listeners. I can imagine the corporate wardrobe. It's probably um, shorts, uh, <laughs> hunting boot, hunting boots, and. Um, you know, and a camouflage top. I, I think that that'd work really well. Imagine well, be that, far that in Wellington. Far better than seeing a man with hairy legs and a dress on and some eyelashes done up and all that sort of stuff. High <laughs> heels. So you know, we need we need what it is. It's a it's truly a problem. Sons need to be mentored. We don't have kids now in our days now that have a father that truly teaches them great values. And talk about values and life principles. And here's another one, morals, morals. Just what is right and wrong? What What is wrong now with families teaching them what is a man so the boys know what a man is to grow up being proud to be a man, validating their daughters so they don't go and try and find it everywhere else in society. And if, if you've got men who are being great family men, it's not the job of the government to tell us what our kids are. It's the job of a man, the father, to affirm the gender of his children, not not even schools. Schools are not the first page of education. Home is. So if you get the home right, everything else is going to come right. And I think the collapse of family has been the collapse in our societies, has been the rise of crime and the out of order we have in our government departments is right down to making the man know who he is and healing him and giving him his responsibilities, that's a big step in the right direction and getting our whole society right. That's good, isn't it? Well, I can hear the critics now, you know, <laughs> saying, well, Brian Tamik is not the right kind of man uh, to do that sort of thing. But then again, they'll never produce who the ideal man is. And look, I, I I hear what you're saying. I'm just wondering how we can implement that. Easy. Just look at the fruit, the results of the person talking. Mm. Um, my four-generational family is very healthy. I've raised a great human, uh, I mean, development program in my life, as well as the churches here in Australia. Mm. I've been a hardworking Kiwi on farms, raised on the farm. Forestry, had my own company or business, played rugby. I'm a musician and love fishing and hunting. I'm your ultimate true blue Kiwi. Ride motorbikes? 
I've got a motorbike, got a car, got a truck. Um, I love my country. Yeah. I'm a patriot. So if anybody wants to fire bullets, go ahead. Um, let the dogs bark, but this caravan's moving forward. And what? I add up, if I add up to being able to do the job, does it really matter about what my belief is? Does it really matter what I look like? Does it matter what my faith is? If I can get this country safe, reduce ram rating um, figures down to pre-labor, I can make your workplace safe. I can make our streets safe and clean it up in 180 days if you put us in. If I don't, I'll walk out in shame. Now, that's a great invitation to see where you are now with that after making all the statements you just did about me. <laughs> I'm just check, just checking, Brian, that yep. you're the real deal here because in your policy you're talking about guardian accountability. Yep. But all too often we see little scumbags appearing before the courts. Uh, they're underage. Uh, they're from broken homes or whatever. Their legal guardians don't know where they are or what they're doing. And will we hear is our poor little um poor little Sebastian here has um had a bit of a rough um upbringing and what he really needs is more hugs. But what you're actually saying in your policy is that the guardians of of youth are just as important to be processed, uh remade into better humans. Absolutely via your policy. Absolutely. Well, we will hold legal guardians to account. That's That's got to happen. So it's not just the kid or, or the young youth standing before the court. It's going to be their caregivers, their parents, the guardians. Yeah. They have to be responsible to in a way that they have to face up uh, to their irresponsible uh, parenting. And then we give them help. We get them through that. That's this is why uh, when I was talking before, when you basically have a problem with the men, the cornerstone of all of this is family. You've got a prime minister that doesn't even know what a woman is. And you've got a leader of the opposition that doesn't know what a man is. So is it a little wonder in this country now that we've got parents coming undone at the sides when they're trying to redefine family so many different ways, the confusion that's out there right now Mm. What is a family? We must be one of the only countries I can think of in the Western world that's gone stupidly crazy to understanding what principally and basically is a family. Now, honestly, for me to talk like this on your radio show, to say that father, a father and a mother is still the only way to not only have children, because a man can't get pregnant, Let's put that to sleep. Mm. But to raise kids so you don't have criminal criminal uh, families passing on the criminal lifestyle, you have to get their family right. That's why Māori crime is a reality because you have to now work with Māori families to interrupt what I call a dysfunction that's now been made normal and making it a part of the Māori culture. And that's all the co-puppet-driven initiatives do. So we have to interrupt that, and I will take a lot of persecution, a lot of criticism, a lot of hate. Um, let it come, but I will let my works talk for me. The results will talk for themselves. And the reason why I can say that is not theory, because we're already doing it. You talk about the importance of someone having a mum and a dad. Yeah. It's not just a mum and a dad, though, because they've got a mum and a dad now. Dad might not be there often. What you're really saying is a good mum and a good dad. Well, that's but you've, but you've got the techniques or the strategies or the courses or the training that's required to make these people better parents. Exactly. Well, your parents need to know where their kids are out at 11 o'clock at night. You know, not roaming the streets, for instance. You've got 10, 11, 12-year-olds roaming the streets. Then that's what's happening. And they're looking to convert a car. They do that by the hours of between 11 and 12. Most of the ram ratings happen between the hours of midnight and 5 in the morning. Mm. 
So that's why we think that introducing mandatory curfews for a certain age group of 15, 16 down, that they can't be roaming the streets at night waiting to convert a car and then go and do the ram raids. That's what's happened. It's simple, really. It's not complicated that you can clean up ram raiding. As I said, you put me in there and our team and we'll put that, those ram raids out of business fairly quickly. But you have to understand that on the other side of this, there is a big problem with the guardians not taking responsibility for their children, their youth, um, and we have a big family problem in this country. You've got some bold goals in this yeah. crime policy, law and order policy. Let's just state those right now. You're yeah. saying that within the first 180 days, yep. six months, yep. Right. Remember the elections in October, so we've got the silly season uh, mm-hmm. immediately after that Christmas and, and New Year where basically the whole country shuts down. But you're including that in the first 180 days. Mm-hmm. You're going to reduce RAM raids by 653%, domestic violence by 48%, homicides by 68%, and yep. gang members by 71%. In that first 180 days, that's serious stake in the ground stuff here. How are you going to deliver that? Easy. First of all, you have to vote Freedoms New Zealand party vote to get me and what I'm basically giving you an introduction to, to this law and order policy. So when the public get a hold of it by tomorrow night and it comes out, Read it through very carefully. And last night, um, that that's going to happen. You, they will see how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time to do it here, but if you give me the power to govern or to have that portfolio, that promise is good and true. So when you read through the stats and the facts, and then read see our facts and stats with dealing with the type of people that are committing these crimes, we know how to do it. That's the thing. We are already doing it, Cam, but we have been uh, prevented from actually having a better uh, influence on the crime that's happening now, and we certainly don't get any of the taxpayers' money. As I said before, if we even had a quarter of what the corrections are wasting and not working, um, those not only can we fulfil that promise, but we can also rehabilitate far better so that those people don't have to take up prison space and we have less. So a need for the Minister of Law and Order to make this change, that's what we've got to have, a Minister of Law and Order, so that that minister then works with with corrections, with the police force and the justice system. That Minister of Law and Order is myself. So you're saying Brian Tamaki is... If you're in a position to form a coalition, because that's the reality of politics. Well, the reality of that is the New Zealand public are going to want a safe New Zealand. Yep. They put your vote to something you know that already has history that it works. They don't have history that works. It's failed. It's a simple um, observation. And so I'm saying there it is. If you want change, I'm your man. If you want law and order to be proper and functioning and working for the public's uh, satisfaction, then you've got to vote, party vote, Freedoms New Zealand, and National and Act, which will probably be the next government, accidental one, I may say, the desperation of New Zealand to get rid of Labour, then you make them include us for that portfolio. And that will be recognised, breaking the 5% threshold, and let's look at, say, between 5 to 10%, that would easy be to go to um, Luxton and act to say, well, here's the people speaking. The people want law and order done properly, so you must give this to uh, Freedoms New Zealand, Brian Tamaki, to take that portfolio and work with them. That's what people do. They tell politicians what they want, not politicians telling us what they want. In order to get that 5%, you're going to need 150,000 Kiwis. 170,000. Yeah, 150, 170, depends on the vote. Mm. 
what's your plan to get that 150,000 votes, given the track record in, in attracting votes in the past? I've never stood before. This is my first time in standing myself. Right. I've supported others, but now I'm putting my own bacon out there um, because I believe it's the right time with my experience um, to stand uh, for the public of New Zealand who are crying out for safety and law and order. So I believe um, that uh, with Sue Gray as the co-leader, Heather, with the parties that have joined and united with the Freedom New Zealand umbrella, we are a great alternative to the two old, same old parties that New Zealand keeps voting between, uh, backward and forward, and they say that when you keep doing the same thing over and over and you expect a different result or want a different result, it's called insanity. And that's what we've been doing as a population. Halfway through their term, National will screw us. Then we all run back to Labour. Halfway through Labour's term, they screw us. And guess where the public of New Zealand put the vote for the next election? Guaranteed. That's one gamble you can take. They go back to National. We've been doing it for 88 years, and we're still losing. So for goodness sake, New Zealand, be bold, take a risk. And here's a good party We've got good experienced people. We've stood for you. We've fought for our families, fought for our faith, for our flag, and for our future. It's not a gamble, really. We've got history, good history, and we'll do the job. So I think it's the right time in this election to put a party vote to Freedom New Zealand to at least get us through to take the law and order policy, to get that minister uh, and basically an action and to change the future of our country to be safe and prosperous again. Well, you've certainly shared with us a, a different vision for corrections, justice and crime in New Zealand. And it's certainly worth diving into in, uh, in detail that we're able to do here at Reality Check Radio. Mm. And I appreciate you coming on the crunch, Brian, and hopefully we'll have you on the program again uh, closer to the election. And then we can the fourteen. Then, yeah, then we can uh, gauge exactly how well you're doing. <laughs> yeah, good, Cam. I, uh, hey, look, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so very much for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome, Brian. Mm. Wow, what do you think about those law and order policies from Brian Tamaki? They're certainly different, but with his proven track record and success in changing people's lives, perhaps we should have a look at giving these ideas a go. It's ambitious. But it could be worth a crack, since what we're doing currently is not working. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR.